What you need to concentrate on is your journey in becoming a person who is comfortable with the ask at the end. Everything before that is a conversation. Everything. Hey, my name is Mallory, and I'm obsessed with helping leaders in the nonprofit space raise money and run their organizations differently. What the Fundraising is a space for real and raw conversations to both challenge and inspire you. Not too long ago, I was in your shoes, uncomfortable with fundraising and unsure of my place in this sector. It wasn't until I started to listen to other experts outside of the fundraising space that I was able to shift my mindset and ultimately shift the way I show up as a leader. This podcast is my way of blending professional and personal development so we as a collective inside the nonprofit sector can feel good about the work we are doing. Join me every week as I interview some of the brightest minds in the personal and professional development space to help you fundamentally change the way you lead and fundraise. I hope you enjoy this episode, so let's dive in. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with Crystal Frazier. Crystal, welcome to What the Fundraising. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Hi, everyone. I loved our first conversation, just learning about how you train and support fundraisers, particularly around how to fundraise fearlessly um, and be able to speak about their cause from a position of strength and empowerment. Can you start us off by just telling everyone a little bit about you and your work and what brings you to our conversation today? And then we can dive in. You know, let me go back a little bit as to how all of this came about. Because when I started working with nonprofits from my internship, I was doing grant writing. I did small events, you know, 5K walks was really popular back then, you know, just doing things like that. And it got to the point where I had to help acquire major donors, get major gifts, be the assistant to a major gifts officer. And so this kind of changed the trajectory of my position, you know, where I was interacting with donors rather than being the event host or writing a grant application for an organization. I was front and center and growing up as someone who was a introvert, it kind of, I kind of threw myself into this and had to figure out how Will I be comfortable? How will I go about talking to donors and prospects with ease? And so really, Mallory, I just approach it as a conversation. I've done that from the very beginning. And my very first mentor in the fundraising world, Maria McGee, I will never forget what she told me. She said, after I had a few conversations and started gaining some success, as a brand new person in the nonprofit arena. She said, you know, your success is coming from the fact that you have a conversation with them. You have empathy for them. You understand who they are. You laugh with them. You incorporate the ask, but you are not salesy about it. I never forgot that advice. And I've carried it with me many, telling my age, many years later. And it it served me well. And when I started helping fundraisers, nonprofit executives, the first thing that they would say, even in their positions, they would say, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to approach it. I get nervous. 
it is a natural human fear that we have to speak in front of people and it takes practice. And that's why I say fundraising without fear, speaking without fear, because I had so many clients at first and then just colleagues and peers coming to me and saying, how do I do this? And so that part of my business, it was born out of that. Wow. Okay. So there's so much of what you said that I just want to like double click on and dive in. What do you think is the first piece of the puzzle that helps fundraisers overcome that very natural fear and discomfort? So I will tell you the first thing that I, when I work with people and what I had to do in my own journey is you have to recognize that this is a journey. This is not so much a destination because when you are working in the, in the fundraising sector, most of us have benchmarks. I remember how that feels that you have to meet certain benchmarks. You, you have to have some type of success. And I understand that. Mm -hmm. And so when I stop concentrating, on the numbers and having it stress me out and concentrate more on my natural personality. I have a little bit of introvert in me. I always will, I believe. But then there's this extroverted part. I take both of those and use them to my advantage. The reason for a lot of my success is I research how people think, how they act, what makes them want to give and also just having it as a natural conversation, letting it flow. So I would say the first piece of advice I would give someone is to, I understand that you have goals. I get it. And you have deadlines. You have campaign goals. What you need to concentrate on is your journey into coming, becoming a person who is comfortable with the ask at the end. Everything before that is a conversation, everything. It's a conversation and to treat it that way. Yeah. Okay. So what do you think this sort of ties into what we're talking about here? You know, you said that piece of feedback that you got early on about how you're never salesy. And I have this sense or feeling that we become more salesy, kind of the more uncomfortable we actually are. And like almost that it brings out this performative nature inside of us, or we're just so, we're so sort of uncomfortable with the ask that it almost makes us a little bit more like disingenuous. And then it comes across as even salesier. Can you talk to me about how you think about that or, or help folks address that if it is coming up for them? Sure. And that's a good point because you're relating it to when we are uncomfortable we all automatically go into sales mode. The reason we do is because we don't know what to say next. I am a person, I always work with what I am going to say next. When it comes to that sales part, and you can feel it, when you're having the conversation, whether it's on Zoom, whether it's in person at an event, However, you're having the conversation, you can, you can feel yourself pulling away from it and the nerves coming. You're like, what am I going to say next? You want to keep the conversation as a flow, not make general statements. So it's so funny, Mallory. I have something called the fundraising script. 
I create one with every client who has this issue. It becomes part of their fundraising speech at galas. It's what they use. Mm. It's And I call it a script because it goes against what a script is. Everything is written down. I incorporate the empathy part of it where they answer the three questions. You know, who is your community? Why do you serve your community? Why does your organization exist? How are you the difference maker? How are you the impact maker? Where is the gap? How are you filling that gap? And how is I, if I represent the donor, how can I help? When you answer all of those questions, you're infusing empathy. You don't need a script after that when because you already know the answers. And if they're not, they're on your organization's website. <laughs> they're on there somewhere. So you already have the answers. I love that. One thing I've noticed, this was very true for me as a fundraiser, especially to that point that you're making right there. When I would be going somewhere and I would be needing to talk about our programs, our organization, or any of the things that you're mentioning, but money wasn't involved, I could do it. Like all of those answers came so easily to me. It was so clear that I did hold that information. I felt so empowered to share it. And it was like, the moment that money was involved or the moment that at the end of that, I had to talk about money. It was like, I couldn't, I couldn't grasp it or I couldn't talk about it in the same way or with that same passion. What, what is that? You know, it's so funny because that is one of the reasons why we go, see, now, now you're taking on the journey of how we start out because we don't know any better. So we go to sales mode when we're uncomfortable and we don't know what's next in the conversation. And we have in the back of our mind, I have to ask someone for money. Mm. I have to ask them for money. It's not even for us. (laughs) It's for Mm -hmm. the organization, Mm -hmm. but it's still uncomfortable. The way that I get around that is, you know, people have different ways of making the ask. You know this in what Mm -hmm. you do. The way that I have always done it is it's never at the end of a conversation. It's never the thing that I close with. It's towards the Mm -hmm. end, but it's never the end. And I always mention in the ask when I do make it that their dollars will contribute, eradicate, decrease, increase, make a difference to this demographic. This is mm-hmm. what this dollar amount will do. Now, I want to back up and say this is af- this is after a lot of prospect research. I've done mm-hmm. my due diligence in in you know what they usually give, so this is after the fact. But I always bring it back to how it's going to make a difference because that's the mm-hmm. reason you're asking to make a difference. Mm-hmm. So it seems less salesy. And then you still have the empathy in there Mm -hmm. because you're either pulling from a testimonial, a client, or one of your programs. So that's Mm -hmm. how you infuse Mm -hmm. the empathy. That is what I would tell people to do. And then it makes Mm -hmm. you less uncomfortable making the ask. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you're not, you're not like disconnected from the donor in that moment. You're, 
you're presenting the opportunity through the lens and their orientation to it. So it doesn't feel like I'm over here wanting this thing. And my goal is to convince you to do that thing as opposed to, and this is why I talk a lot about in my work too, around alignment, when that alignment is there, you know, great fundraising is not an ask, it's an offer. It's saying like, I see you caring a lot about this thing, wanting to make this impact in our community. I have an opportunity to do exactly that. Do you want to hear more about it? Exactly. It leads them. See, you're leading them because I notice a lot of um, new fundraisers, they will make stop statements. They'll make a Mm -hmm. statement. Well, we need your ask to do X, Y, Z. And then they'll wait for the response. What you just said, you're leading them. It has to be Mm -hmm. the donors having a journey just like you are in this conversation. Mm -hmm. It is an experience. And you get to kind of map and outline their experience. You want their experience to be your framework for the entire conversation, the ask, your fundraising speech, whatever it is. It's all Mm -hmm. leading them on a journey to the ask, but you want to keep going. So I love the way that you did that. Okay, so I have this other place where I think we're likely very aligned in how we teach and talk about fundraising, which is the idea of sort of asking permission to move to the next stage of the relationship or even the conversation. Like you were saying that before, like we have in the back of our head, this idea that we're going to ask for money and it sort of convolutes our whole ability to have a real conversation because we're just, we have that in the back of our head. One of the things that I talk to fundraisers a lot about is that we imagine, just like what you're saying, kind of the end of the line of questions or the end of the the relationship towards a gift, not the end of the relationship, but the end of the ask, right? When we are afraid of fundraising, we're imagining that last moment where we're saying, you know, would you consider giving $100,000, a million dollars, $10,000, whatever it is to our organization, but that there are all these stages of permission before that, that lead us towards whether or not that even is a question that's appropriate for this relationship. And I feel like if when we can wind our minds back to that, and really take it one step at a time, it can reduce the fear and sort of make the whole process feel more manageable. I'd love your like insight and and thoughts around that. Yes, that that's a great point. Because when you are having the conversation with a prospect, By the time I sit down, whether it's in front of a computer, on a phone, or in person, I have done my research. And a lot of people say, well, what is prospect research? You are researching what the donor, potential donor, has given before in other organizations, hopefully like yours, your competitors, you, I mean, I even have Google alerts for donors, just for donors that I have worked with when they're in the news, when they're in the social pages, if you will, for that particular Mm -hmm. area, most Metroplexes have local social pages. You will see the donors in there. You will see them in annual reports. So I gather all of that information. And then I start to formulate a plan of, okay, how is this donor going to react if I ask this question? So remember, Mallory, when I said the questions that you ask in the fundraising script, where's Mm -hmm. the, you know, how do you fill the gap? How do you serve your community? All of that. Mm -hmm. When you receive answers to those very important questions, 
you prolong the conversation by giving your opinion that represents the organization. So if they're asked, if you're telling them how you serve the community through your mission and your vision, they have a question about it, then you counter that with proof, facts, mm-hmm. testimonials, stories that you can mm-hmm. infuse in that conversation. All of this is going back to empathy, empathy, mm-hmm. empathy, empathy. It's going back to infusing the empathy so you won't be a salesman, saleswoman when you get in front mm-hmm. of the donor. Okay. Mm-hmm. So all those questions that that I talked about, the gap, community, demographic, how do you serve, all of that, you are prolonging the conversation by telling them how you do it and also putting your facts in there. If anything's going to be salesy about your pitch, the ask. The only thing you want is the facts, your figures, your statistics. That part can be mundane, can be salesy because it is what it is. Great statistics speak for themselves, but all the other parts of the conversation, it has to flow. The way that it flows is with empathy. Yeah. Okay. There's so many things that you're saying. I'm trying to pick which direction uh, that I that I want to go in because I so appreciate how you're talking about all of this. I'm curious. You know, something I've been I've been studying a lot and and really trying to understand is kind of like the biological side of connection. Like what helps us feel connected as people, and then what happens that breaks connection, both in terms of in relationship, but also what are the things that happen to our brain and body is that maybe don't make us open to connection in a particular moment. And what I've found is that there's so much interesting research about what happens to our nervous system, for example, when we're ghosted or when we experience rejection and how we enter this like need for a little bit of self-protection, you know, this like very understandable place where we're feeling really tender about something that just happened And maybe it's not the best time to walk into the next donor meeting because it's going to be really hard to be open to connection when we're still sort of like licking our wounds around this painful experience we had with somebody else. I'm curious how you, you know, not necessarily from that orientation, but you think about how fundraisers can take care of their you know, emotional well-being and their sort of, you know, management of all these different relationships that are so vulnerable and so human. And they're trying to balance the, you know, pressure of their fundraising goals with with this really human experience that often isn't given the space and breathing room that it needs. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up because I have a few points about this. And opinions, because as fundraisers, it doesn't matter if you're in a nine to five job or you're consulting, you wear so many hats. I mean, right now we're on this podcast and I guarantee you, we have hundreds of emails that we could look at right now, take care of tasks, projects, donors, prospects to to vet people and other. I mean, it's just so much to do. And when you wear so many hats, it can be overwhelming. And then you compound that with benchmarks, with goals that you have to meet. And you're right, we're often not given the space 
to take the time to have those relationships and cultivate it. One thing that I did that really helped helps me tremendously to this day is because it seems like the deeper you get into fundraising year after year, the more hats you wear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so simple. Mm-hmm. Being in college and in an internship, those days are gone. <laughs> gone. Gone. Right? Yeah. Yes. I have, I have a million hats. You just can't see them, Mallory. I have a million hats. <laughs> and so as you, as you do as well. So I think the thing that has helped me is I have thrown away the work-life balance idea. Mm. There is Mm. no balance. (laughs) There is day-to-day doing the absolute best I can, being task-oriented, being goal-oriented and project-oriented. So your listeners don't don't need me to tell them how to do their task and their projects. What I do want to tell your listeners is give yourself grace Give yourself grace when it comes to having some type of balance. What has helped me tremendously is eons ago when one of my mentors taught me how to truly segment a database, Mm -hmm. truly segment the database so I could set up my tasks that way, so I could have relationships and cultivate relationships with donors easier It was much better to do that because when you have a lapsed donor, the cultivation is different than a major donor or one that is consistently giving every single month or every single quarter. So that helped me with all the hats that we wear to segment. When I set, when I started segmenting databases on my own in my job and I do it for other organizations, when I started doing that, it was Mm -hmm. easier to plan my day. That is probably the closest that I got to any type of balance being a fundraiser. Now you compound that with events that you're either hosting or you're managing. You compound that with uh, employees that are under you. If you run the development department, if you're a major gifts officer, you have so much more that you're doing. Your balance is really doing the best you can. Segmenting helped me greatly. And it also, Mallory, if I can say this point too, it also depends on what type of learner you are, what type of person you are. Segmenting helped my brain understand what I needed to do day to day and which donors and prospects needed my attention first. It, it helped me greatly. And that, then I would plan that way. If you're that type of person, that would work for you. If you're the type of person where looking at data and you don't even handle the database and someone else in your department does that, have them do that for you. That will help you plan. Because once you segment from there, you can plan who you're talking to, how you develop the relationships. Yeah, definitely. And I think both thinking about how you kind of like manage your time, but I also, I mean, I think for me, the like word balance has always felt impossible. And, but I use the word for myself, at least synergy, right? That I want to feel Mm -hmm. in alignment in all of the work that I do, that I want to feel synergy between the different things that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. Um, And that I think feels truly more regulating for my nervous system when I 
what as opposed to balanced, which feels impossible. I feel like I'm always failing. And then I'm just sort of like shooting all over myself about, you know, what how unbalanced I am. Um, so I like I really appreciate what you said. Okay, what I know we're almost out of time. What question have I not asked you that I should have asked you about all of this? Well, you know what? I am going to add to what you just said, because mm. I love the synergy part. And it's so funny because I have several people in my family named Joy or Joyce, mm. some derivative of the name. My mother's name was Joyce. And so Joy has always been a running theme mm. in my life. Mm. What I want to leave your listeners with, because I love, I, I'm just going to have to use synergy from now on. I love it. <laughs> I love the synergy of flow between everything that you do, you know? And mm. I would say the piece of advice I would give leaving your listeners is there are certain parts of what you do, whether it's your job or your business, that you're just not going to like. And Mm -hmm. concentrate on the parts. You still have to do the parts you don't like. I do. Accounting would definitely Mm -hmm. be one of those. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, So (laughs) believe me, I mean, I'm not a math person. I can read, write, and talk all day, but math, so I understand that part. But concentrate on the things that bring you joy when you Mm -hmm. are able to do those. If it brings you joy to interact with donors, to interact with people and build those relationships, remember that when you are doing the tasks that are mundane, don't drive you, but remember Mm -hmm. your joy and passion and why you're doing it in the first place. You know, in my business, just like a nonprofit organization, I have a mission and my mission is to change a life a perspective or a company. Mm. And we all have some type of mission. So that is mine. So I hope that I've helped you with your perspectives, your listeners, and given them something to think about. Oh my gosh, so many things to think about. I so appreciate your perspective and how you've walked us through um, these different pieces. And I think for fundraisers, there are so many helpful takeaways in how they navigate their roles and continue to build their confidence and comfort, quote unquote, asking for money, but really giving people these incredible opportunities to move money towards their values and towards building the world that they want to see. So thank you so much um, for your time. Tell everyone in our last 30 seconds where they can find you, how they can work with you. I just want to make sure they know where to go. Absolutely. So you can go to crystalfraser.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-A-L-F-R-A-Z-I-E-R. I am closed for consulting until November. So I will ta- start taking consulting clients in November. Um, I speak all the time. I absolutely love speaking and webinars and also have an assertive ask fundraising system. And so that is also on crystalfraser.com that you can use for your colleges, your sales teams, and your development teams. It makes your work easier. Amazing. Thank you so much, Crystal. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Mallory, for having me on.
I hope today's episode inspired or challenged you to think differently. For additional takeaways, tips, show notes, and more about our amazing guests and sponsors, head on over to MalloryErickson.com backslash podcast. And if you didn't know, hosting this podcast isn't the only thing I do. Every day I coach, guide, and help fundraisers and leaders just like you inside of my program, The Power Partners Formula Collective. Inside the program, I share my methods, tools, and experiences that have helped me fundraise millions of dollars and feel good about myself in the process. To learn more about how I can help you, visit MalloryErickson.com backslash powerpartners. Last but not least, if you enjoyed this episode, I'd love to encourage you to share it with a friend you know would benefit or leave a review. I'm so grateful for all of you and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. I can't wait to see you in the next episode. Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to MalloryErickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.